Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I hope the Fed is watching the right companies here. After a not-so-hot day where the Dow lost 116 points, the S&P declined 0.65%, and the Nasdaq shed 0.46%. Sell, sell, sell! We need Fed Chief Jay Powell to listen to last night's big, bad conference call from CSX. That's a huge railroad. Or this morning's suboptimal report from aerospace conglomerate Textron that showed weakness in almost the almost always robust aerospace sector. Or tonight's surprisingly not-so-hot guidance from United Rentals, the equipment rental company. At the same time, we need him to ignore the bank conference calls. Wow, like the excellent one we got today from Bank of America. Uh, and that was on the heels of the major bank stocks that have all been good. House of pleasure. And we certainly happen to see. We got to hope he stays away from any conference call, the red, red hot airline sector. Why? Because we've got two economies in this country, people. Right now, they're out of sync. There's the consumer economy, the one you interact with every day, and it's in fantastic shape. If you believe Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and why not? Consumers are right in the sweet spot. We're spending, but within our means, and we're taking down a little debt, paying it off. Based on what's happening in the consumer economy, you could easily make the case for more rate hikes here. Oh, but the business economy, that is a totally different story. That's CSX conference call. I have to describe it as brutal. And that's why the stock lost 10% of its value. CSX is a railroad that moves all sorts of big industrial products. When their cargoes are suffering like this, it tells the Fed to slash interest rates like Freddy Krueger. We see this struggle between the thriving consumer economy and the ailing business economy plays out every day. It's a bizarre situation where the bulls focus on the negative data because they want a rate cut and the bears focus on the positive data because they want the Fed to do nothing. I think the bulls will ultimately win. Why? Because Jay Palkey is obsessing about that rate hike too far, that one in December, as well as President Trump's fickle stance on the trade war. I got to tell you, if the Chinese don't start buying some soybeans soon, I'm going to scream, but not as loud as Powell will scream if the White House rolls out another round of tariffs. Something the CSX told us today could be very destructive for the economy. Mostly, though, this dichotomy is just plain weird. I can't think of another time in my, in my years in the business where the consumer was in such fantastic shape while the industrials were in so much trouble. Normally, the one boosts the other or vice versa. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be happening right now. Uh, if you want to know just how crazy things are, and man, they are nutty, you got to listen to Jim Foote, level-headed CEO of CSX. He says, quote, 
We started this year expecting revenue to be up approximately 1% to 2%. Both global and U.S. economic conditions have been unusual this year, to say the least, and have impacted volumes. You see it every week in Carlos. The present economic backdrop is one of the most puzzling I have experienced in my career. End quote. He now thinks that the numbers are going to be down. With the stock down 10% today, it's safe to say that investors don't like to be puzzled. And who can blame them? According to CSX, markets that have been very strong are now doing very badly. Look at the intermodal. Think those big metal shipping containers, which is a great gauge of the broader economy. It was down a staggering 11%, although some of that had to do with internal changes to CSX. Full went on to explain that the expected seasonal rebound that happens right about now has not materialized. Quote, many of our customers' volumes continue to show weakness, end quote. That's exactly what j needs to hear if he's going to cut rates. Oh, boy, though, but then there's the brutal negative pin action. When one railroad does badly, the whole group gets hit. United, Union Pacific, it plunged nearly 6% today. Norfolk Southern went down 7%. You get all those cargoes like coal that are getting crushed. You got metals down basically because of overcapacity. Auto stuck in neutral despite the consumer's incredible balance sheet. CSX did have some real growth, primarily in grains for ethanol and sports utility vehicles, but it was more than offset by the weakness in intermodal. It didn't help the Textron, which is a mid-sized aerospace conglomerate, reported some very disappointing orders. Again, the pin action, ferocious, putting pressure on the entire aerospace cohort. It was a distinct overreaction that created, I think, some real bargains. Lockheed Martin Honeywell. Between CSX and Textron, they touch on way too many sectors that are essential to the S&P 500. But as I always tell you, the money from one pocket finds its way into another. For example, Bank of America reported an amazingly good quarter that was greeted with buy interest, even in the heat of the sell programs that dominated at the end of the day. If there hadn't been sell programs, I think Bank of America could have been up as much a buck. Abbott Labs reported an extraordinary number with accelerating revenue growth driven by relentless innovation. The new glucose monitoring system for diabetics is a huge hit. There are 80 million diabetics. Last night, United Airlines shot the lights out and dramatically raised its forecast. But more important than earnings, when there's a big cyclical shortfall, money pours into the turbocharged growth stocks, the ones that don't need a good economy to make the numbers. Will you look at Shopify? Here's a company that empowers small businesses, allowing them to make their websites look as good as a powerhouse's retailer. I know more people who've gotten their businesses going using Shopify than any other non-banking entity on Earth. The companies that feel like they're being hurt by Amazon, many of them are Shopify, although Amazon is web services, their best friend. For example, well, let me give you one close to home. My 25-year-old daughter, I don't want to reveal her business plan, but she wants to sell a particular kind of apparel. And last year, I asked her how she'd get it up and running. She looked at me like I had two heads. The same way everyone else does, Dad, at Shopify. I know that's purely anecdotal evidence. But remember, this is the same daughter who turned me on to Apple, Google, Etsy, PayPal, Align Technology, Adobe, and Netflix long before they blew up on Wall Street. What can I say? The kid is money. She stays in the picture. Of course, speaking of Netflix, we do have some companies that manage to buck the strong consumer trend. Netflix is consumer-focused, yet it's getting killed in after-hour trading because they're important polling subscriber growth. Boy, are those guys terrible at predicting their own numbers. At the same time, IBM, which is all business, delivered what looked to be a better-than-expected quarter, but there are always flies in that ointment, which I hope will change now that Red Hat deal is closed. That said, we still got the usual suspects that are still working like you'd expect them to when the economy's weak. Money goes into cybersecurity. This time it's Palo Alto Network Cyber, our Kramer family fave, Okta. It goes into cloud kings like Salesforce and Splunk and Adobe and ServiceNow and VMware. In the end, though, you have to wonder if there's 
And if there's enough here for everyone, we have J-PAL satisfied by CSX and Textron, now you or I, all of us gave them the green light to cut interest rates. We have a healthy consumer who's giving the banks some needed firepower. We have a healthcare star and a fantastic set of high-growth winners. It wasn't enough to prevent today's decline, certainly not. It might not tomorrow, given the fact of Netflix and, and you or I, but we wouldn't doubt a lot more without these positives. The bottom line, I think you need to hang in there and wait for some positive earnings reports, which I believe... Could be right around the corner. But if I'm wrong and the earnings are bust, then the Federal Reserve has even more ammunition to justify multiple rate hikes. Either way, despite some hiccups, I'm betting with the bulls. I think they're more likely to win. I need to start the calling with Billy from Maryland. Billy. Jim, I first want to say thank you to you and your team for all of your hard work. My staff is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And Regina and her gang are just amazing. What's up? Okay, I'm calling about a retail stock. The stock is at home. The ticker symbol is H-O-M-E. The company has just celebrated opening their 200 store with plans of opening 400 more. There's even been some rumors about them being acquired by a larger chain like Kohl's. The problem is the stock's dropped over 70% in the last 30 days. So is this a buy, sell, They, 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 they can open 1,000 stores. When they keep missing quarters like that, you're just going to have to go down. And believe me, Kohl's has its own problems, and I don't think they're about to buy anyone. Uh, they should be buying back their own stock if they want to buy something. Let's go to Bruce in New York, please. Bruce. That's Bruce Maudsley. How you doing there, Jim? I'm doing well, Bruce. How are you? Oh, so far, perfect. There you go. Look at that. I wanted to thank you for making me a smarter investor. That's what, I'm try- That's what I'm trying to do. Make people a better client. Make people a better investor. Thank you for noticing. Let's go to work. Okay, about 20 years ago, my wise father-in-law, Julian, told me to buy Church and Dwight, symbol CHD. My average cost is about $2 a share. All dividends were reinvested. The stock's near its all-time high with a market at all-time highs. Even though I'm playing with house money at this point, do you think I should sell some or all before I have earnings? to tell you, I can, I can opine about the company. It is so good. It has just done so well. It is so consistent. I don't feel any need. You've probably taken your cost basis out to really uh, do any selling. It, it is just a great American company. Boy, do I wish they'd come on. It would mean a lot to me. I, hey, thank you for this kind of words. Can I go to Robert in Pennsylvania, please? Robert. Hi, Jim. Robert. I'm, co- I'm calling about Harley-Davidson. I've owned this stock now for about 10 years and bought it at $50. It's now trading around $36. Right. Is there any hope for Harley-Davidson? Well, I, I think the problem with Harley is not necessarily the, uh, what people are worried about in terms of uh, imports. It's the demographic. It's just an older group of people who ride Harleys. Now, I don't know. I don't ride motorcycles. Uh, uh, my uh, my uh, best friend, Michael Haley, has got a Harley, and we go to the Harley store, and they look great. But then again, you know, I'm, a, I'm 54. Okay. Maybe a little old. All right. All right. There's enough here for everybody. There's enough to keep the averages hanging in. Well, Mad Money tonight, I don't want to be too clear, but it could be time to worry about earnings pain. I'm talking about big tech in Washington. And sit back, relax, and pop a cold one. I'm talking Uncle Sam, Boston Beer Company, that is. Stock's made a remarkable comeback. What's that all about? I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And I found a play that's staying strong despite multiple analyst downgrades. I'm checking in on the resilience of an old iron bender from Ohio. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Big tech went to Washington this week. Whenever these companies are in the news, you really need to distinguish between the headline risk, ephemeral, unimportant, and the genuine earnings risk, serious, painful, very bad. The house of pain. In other words, when it comes to Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet tussling with Congress, you need to ask yourself, is this an issue that really makes them look bad, or does it cost money? Let me give you an example. Yesterday, David Cicilline, he's the head of the House Antitrust Subcommittee, said something I thought was very major that most people kind of washed over. Take a listen. In an effort to promote and continue this new economy, Congress and antitrust enforcers allow these firms to regulate themselves with little oversight. As a result, the Internet has become increasingly concentrated, less open, and growingly hostile to innovation and entrepreneurship. Cicilline is making a good point, but if you own these stocks, it's the last thing you want to hear. Why? Because regulated businesses make less money than non-regulated businesses. That means there's this earnings risk. So now Cicilline is a Democrat. Normally, you'd expect the Republicans to fight against regulation. Republicans perceive these Internet titans as a bastion of liberalism. As a result, big tech is just about the only thing the two parties can agree on. Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet are the companies that politicians love to hate which is unfortunate because we own all three of them for my child's trust. I don't want to make these big tech platforms sound like they're underdogs. They're gigantic companies sitting on huge mounds of cash. They are very powerful. But that said, this is not a great situation for them. In part, that's due to the environment. The media has every incentive to paint a negative picture because every publisher that depends on advertising has been eviscerated by these companies. And Congress is full of ancient politicians who are only just getting comfortable with email. They're snail mail people. They're the last people who should be regulating the Internet. But some of the problem is self-inflicted. Big tech is way too honest for its own good sometimes. When other industries get too large, they know to start putting up offices in important congressional districts all over the country. Look at the defense contractors. These big tech platforms, with the exception of the all-wise and knowing Amazon, are all concentrated on the West Coast. I'm not saying I approve of this totally legal form of corruption. But what's the point of being a $500 billion company if you don't even buy some congressional mindshare? Finally, there's a lack of public well-known and well-respected grown-ups at the top of these companies, people who cannot be bought. Big tech has systematically refused to bring in senior executives who are already trusted by Washington. To me, the smartest thing that Dara Khosrowshahi did when he took over at Uber was to hire Tony West as general counsel. West was the former GC of PepsiCo. And before that, he was the associate attorney general of the United States. He was number three guy in the Justice Department. He's got the best resume ever for this kind of thing. Remember, Kosmashari had to clean up the mess, and that was left by his predecessor, Travis Kalanick. You don't hear much about that kind of mess anymore, do you? 
I mean, even though Uber is still an aggressive company, that's in part because West gives the company some credibility with Congress. Deservedly. Unfortunately, these other companies don't even seem to know that they need a guy like Tony West, someone with a regulator's mentality. Help them get along with the actual regulators. They need more political operatives, more former legislators turned lobbyists. Heck, you know what? I'll even take some famous athletes. I mean, even the banks know to do that. Or or else we are liable to end up with the Interstate Internet Commerce Commission with real regulators assigned to these companies. With that in mind, let's go through them one by one. First, there's Alphabet. Okay, that's parent of Google. I think they have real earnings risk here. In many ways, Alphabet reminds me of Microsoft before it lost the beginning trust case nearly 20 years ago. There's no escaping Google. It determines what you read first and often what you buy first, not to mention what you see first on YouTube. A lot of First Amendment stuff in there. One of, that's congressional purview. One of the reasons I've been such a fan of this stock is that it has an almost monopoly power that's earned by its own ingenuity, deservedly. Problem with that? Unless they can find a way to placate the government, someone's always going to try to be breaking them up. The good news, stock's already pretty darn cheap, selling for 21 times next year's earnings. The, the bad news, while Peter Thiel's call for a McCarthy-style investigation in the company's ties to China seems uh, uh, very off-base, there's a reason he's going after these guys. Look, I personally love everything about Google, but there's no denying its incredible power, and it does have the ability, as the critics would say, to be coercive. So I think there's real earnings risk here. Company needs to find a way to, to self-examine, uh, and, and not by cheap AI, but by expensive humans. They have the money. I know they don't want to slow down the innovation. They're great innovators, but they, they lack a powerful, well-known outside counsel who can tell them what's right or wrong. I couldn't believe it. there was some no-name alphabet guy on the Hill answering questions about Chinese communist infiltration. Can they be that tone-deaf? They need some heavy hitters out there to get them out of this jam. Next up, there's Amazon. These guys have Big Brother and Alexa. They've wiped out small businesses all over the country. They have the power to steer you to their own goods. Uh, But Amazon also has friends. They've got distribution centers all over the country, which gives them influence with Congress. Their platform is beloved by just about everyone who uses it. Plus, CEO Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Hey, that's one way to ensure you get publicity, although he has not influenced the editorial like that. Still, if you're worried about corporate concentration, that that in itself is a bit of a red flag. Even though Amazon spent years crushing smaller retailers, I think this one's in the best shape, at least here in the United States. Companies being investigated by the EU, but it just made a brilliant settlement with the German authorities nobody's talking about to change its terms of business in order to appease aggressive sellers, aggrieved sellers. You know, the kind of people that are on Shopify, like I talked about at the top of the show. Now, I think these changes will immunize the company. Mostly, though, Amazon knows how to play the game. Last but not least, there's Facebook. Man, they sure didn't buy much, did they, with that $5 billion settlement with the FTC? It's out of the frying pan in the fire with these guys. The Treasury Department is not thrilled with Facebook's plan to launch its own cryptocurrency, Libra. Talk about a self-inflicted wound. Again, if they'd simply bring in some unassailable outside counsel with real credibility, couldn't they find some sort of distinguished federal judge who's retired somewhere? I mean, then maybe the government uh, would allow them to self-regulate again. Still, I'm not that worried about Facebook. Why? In part, it's because their Instagram business is on fire, as is my Instagram account, which is on fire. Uh, But mainly, I'm not worried because I have a plan for them. Facebook watches the show. So listen up, Facebook. I understand. I like the Libra concept, but you got to drop it. It's clearly doing more harm than good. Instead, just take some of your money. You want to get into payments? Just go buy Square. $70 billion. That's a 100% premium. 
Nobody turns down 100% premium. Then they can blow out Square's payments networks worldwide. Square cash is going to be Facebook cash. Plus, don't forget, Square takes Bitcoin, so they can still get their cryptocurrency fixed. Look, I'm not being glibber. Glib. Being in the crosshairs of the federal government is going to cost these companies money. The bottom line, if you impact free speech like Alphabet does, you're going to take an earnings hit and maybe even some breakup risk as we get to the election. If you impact commerce like Amazon, you're going to have at least a small earnings hit, maybe a fine. But I expect the new rules to be relatively painless, like the ones they agreed to in Germany. And if you're Facebook, come on, guys, drop Libra, go buy Square, bring in a distinguished former jurist to help play the fence. Maybe that's enough. Oh, and for those European regulators, just like our afternoon show, I say, check, please. Believe me, that's how things work. Stick with me. What the heck has gotten into the Boston Beer Company, better known as Sam Adams? Over the past couple of years, this stock has rocketed higher from under $150 to nearly $400 right now. And I got to tell you, this is one of the most spectacular comebacks I've ever witnessed. I certainly didn't see it coming, did you? So what in the world is driving this thing? We've got to understand these things. Okay, Boston Beer was once the ultimate cult stock. A little less than 10 years ago. A craft beer craze swept the nation. Given that Sam Adams was sort of the pioneer of craft beers, the company made a killing and stocks surged into the stratosphere. This was huge. In 2010 and 2011, Boston Beer had sales growth in the low double digits. Then craft beer, start, beer started taking off in 2012. Well, and next thing you know, they had 13% sales growth. In 2013, it vaulted to 27% growth. In 2014, it was 22% growth. Not bad for a company that's been around for decades, right? But ultimately, the very trend that made Boston beer so successful was its undoing. As more and more tiny craft breweries opened up across the United States, Sam Adams started feeling like a lot less special. In just a few years, it went from being a red-hot growth property to a kind of a lost brand, stuck somewhere between the mass market and the artisanal market. Company sales growth slowed to just, uh, to just 6% in 2015, and then, well, it turned negative, as you can see from the stock, in, 20, in 2016 and 2017. Hence the decline right there. All right. Then beer went out of style, and that only made things more difficult. Throughout this period, the stock got clobbered, which is why I gave up on it a long time ago. I never liked that kind of beer anyway. I mean, to me, it tastes like Cheerios. I don't know about you guys. And that's what makes Boston beers come back so stunning. I think this is an important story because it shows you how companies that were written off and left for dead can indeed make themselves relative again if they have great management. So how do they do it? Now, it starts at the beginning of 2017 when the Boston Beer longtime CEO, Martin Roper, announced his retirement. Now, given the stock's performance over the previous couple of years, I mean, you can see it. It was time for Roper to go. It took a while for the company to find a permanent replacement. But in February of last year, they brought in a fellow by the name of Dave Berwick. He's the former CEO of Pete's Coffee. Meanwhile, the company founder, Jim Cook, has stayed on as chairman the whole time. Now, I don't want to give all the credit to Berwick. That'd be wrong, because the turn at Boston Beer really had started before he took over. Although even then, he was a member of the board of directors. In the dark days of 2017, when its growth was shrinking, Boston Beer took a stand, a gutsy stand. Rather than focusing on cost cuts and buybacks to boost earnings, we've seen that playbook a lot, right? They chose to sacrifice near-term profitability in order to invest in the business, something that a lot of executives are afraid to do because it causes their stock to get hurt initially. And then they did it with the hope that these eventually investments would pay off. 
Boston Beer upped its marketing budget. They invested in new product development, especially outside of the now-struggling beer category. The company already had some non-beer products like Twisted Tea and Angry Orchard Cider, but these brands were an afterthought compared to the various formulations of Sam Adams. Now, in retrospect, investing in innovation was a very smart move. In 2017, Boston Beer rolled out a new hard seltzer brand. It was called Truly, which has now become the pillar. Look at this truly amid the pillar of the turnaround right here. More on seltzer in a minute. Boston Beer understood that you can't be a growth company unless you're willing to spend money to improve your business. They weren't willing to remain hostage to the fickle beer market. Instead, they took control of their own destiny. Now, why doesn't everyone do this? Because it's too risky, people. Far easier to just stop the bleeding, cut costs, accept your fate as a slow but steady grower. I mean, isn't that like the Kraft Heinz way of working yourself out of a jam? If Boston Beer's investments hadn't paid off, or also Molson, I should say, if Boston Beer hadn't paid off, the stock would have been in big trouble. Hey, it's nature of the business. Now, it took a while, but by April of last year, people were starting to believe in the story again. And that's when Boston Beer reported a huge earnings beat driven by the non-beer business category. That's Angry Orchard and Twisted Tea. And the new, truly, this is what's known as hard seltzer. seltzer. I mean, I don't, how did they think of this? I, I don't even know. This is Wild Berry. It's got 5% alcohol. The key metric in the spirits industry is called depletions, shipments to retailers, and Boston Beer's depletions were up 8%, and that translated to almost 18% revenue growth. That's a fabulous number. The core Sam Adams brand remained weak, but it was more than offset by the strength of the rest of the company, particularly, truly. From there, the stock exploded higher, running straight from 200 to 300 by the end of last June. Of course, it hasn't all been smooth sailing. Boston Beer had some stumbles as they got their turnaround on track, and its stock really got nailed in the fourth quarter as the whole market melted down. But quarter after quarter, management told the same story. Twisted Tea was on fire, Angry Orchard red hot, and the hard seltzer is smoking. Last October, they said this category was set to triple. Three quarters of the market is controlled by two brands, Boston Beer's Truly and White Claw from the company behind Mike's Hard Lemonade. Even after its fabulous run in 2018, there's still plenty of dollars. For example, UBS initiated coverage of Boston Beer last December with a sell rating and a 228 price target, mm, arguing the stock was too expensive, and sooner or later, the growth was bound to slow. Given that the stock's up more than 60% for 2019, uh, can I call that call premature? I don't want to give anyone a hard time, although, you know, at this point, uh, because I missed it too. But they keep proving the skeptics wrong. I knew not to say to sell it every step of the way. Now, in April... Goldman Sachs, good analyst, downgraded the stock to a sell. And then a couple of weeks later, Barron's ran a happy, a, a really a, a hitch up. A happy hour could be over for Boston Beer stock. Once again, when Boston Beer reported later that same month, they shot the lights out. In fact, the company literally doubled Wall Street's earnings estimates, making just over two bucks. Analysts paying for a buck. Even though management left their full-year guidance unchanged, the results were phenomenal across just every line. Once again, the new products were the big drivers, although this time Dave Burke really focused on truly. He said, truly continues to grow beyond our expectations. All right. We're expanding distribution across all channels and improving our position as a leader in hard seltzer as more competitors enter the category. It was a very bullish story. So bullish that when the other big innovator in the beer business, Constellation Brands, reported the other day, management was peppered over and over with questions about when they'll launch their own spike seltzer. The analysts, they're jonesing for truly in response, the stock quickly spiked back to 320 bucks. Look at this. Remember, everybody hate, you know, a lot of guys calling the top right here and went to 320 bucks. And since then, it's just kept running, especially when the whole market ro- uh, it was, it rolled over May. Uh, earlier this week, Boston Beer broke out above $400. Look at this, will you? 
This is an incredible move. All right, let's pull back to 390 as of today, but that is one magnificent run. Now, Boston Bee reports this next quarter uh, exactly one week from today. I, I think you got to be careful about trying to gain a quarter because this stock's run so much. But last week, Guggenheim raised its price target on Boston Beer to 421. They argue we could be looking at years of successful growth here thanks to truly at truly yours, and there could be even more upside if the company can turn around Sam Adams' brand or get some of his newest brands to take off, like Wild Leaf or Tura. I thought Tura was like a car system. Anyway, Guggenheim's also bullish about the company's recent acquisition of Dogfish Head, the rapidly growing craft brewery for $300 million. Maybe you can turn that around that beer, the beer business. It's very hard to do. Uh, the problem, at these levels, the stock's trading at 39 times next year's estimates, which is super expensive, particularly for a beer company. Seems way out of whack. I like Boston beer. I don't want you to chase it. So what's the bottom line? Losing stocks can become winners again when bold management makes smart decisions and bites the bullet. At this point, Boston beers run so much that I think it could sell off hard next week. And obviously, if Constellation comes out with a hard shell, seltzer, this thing's going to go down. Uh, if it reports a good quarter, though, we've got to take a look. If that happens, use the weakness to do some buying. Otherwise, keep your bat on your shoulder and wait for another pitch. But you know what? I've got to hand it to these guys. They've reinvented the company, and they've done it in spectacular style. Let's go to John in Virginia. John. Hi, Kramer. My son has a question about his stock. Sure. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. We have family Kramer night at our house, and I just got General Mills stock for my 15th birthday because I eat a lot of Lucky Charms. What are your thoughts on the stock? Uh, They had a decent quarter. The stock had run up very big in anticipation, so it didn't take off. But I think that uh, it's time for them. You're absolutely right to do it. I want you to put away. Don't trade the thing. Congratulations, John, for doing the right thing. And I love families that invest and take a long-term view, and he knows what he's doing. Okay, listen, Austin Beer could have a sell-off next week. If that happens, you might want to use the week to do some buying. There's much more man money ahead, from smokestack company to smoke show stock. I'm talking about Parker Hannafin. And are the banks finally back? I'm crunching the numbers and giving you my take. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. know the driving force behind this pretty irrepressible market. Look at the industrials that refuse to bend the knee. Even when these stocks get hit with a broadside of negativity, they just don't get crushed as they used to. Consider the case of Parker Hannafin, symbol PH. That's a classic smokestack stock that makes all sorts of industrial equipment. I know it sounds boring, but it's hydraulics, some aerospace components. Over the past week, do you know that six separate analysts, six, have downgraded the stock in a row? To put that in perspective, six analysts downgraded Kraft Heinz in late February, but that was right after the food company that had posted a huge earnings shortfall slashed its dividend and announced an SEC investigation. Six downgrades is a lot, especially when Parker Hannafin actually hasn't done any here to actually deserve. And the response? The market couldn't care less. In fact, Parker Hannafin is actually up four bucks since the downgrade started. Buy, 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 buy. The first couple of notes did a little damage, but the rest of them been ignored, which is how the stock could rally on seemingly bad news. So we got to ask ourselves: when something like this happens, we got to—I got to give you the context. What the heck's going on here, basically? Now, there are a couple of things you need to keep track of, but the main one is simple. These bearish analysts simply don't understand the current zeitgeist of the market. They know Parker Hannafin is expected to report in a couple of weeks. And they want to bash the heck out of the stock ahead of time. Get it right. 
Maybe they'll even be right about the quarter, but that's not the point. See, in this environment, the current results simply aren't that important if you're an industrial. Why? Because the Fed has Parker Hannifin's back. Jay Powell, our newly dovish Fed chief, has made it clear that he wants to cut interest rates. Lower rates bolster the economy, and a strong economy benefits cyclical companies like, well, Parker Hannifin. Investors are willing to look through most near-term weakness as long as they're confident that the Fed will take action. That means all these analysts who downgrade the stock are fighting the Fed. They are fighting the Fed. I've told you, you can't do that. And they're fighting the tape. And that's a fight you cannot win. Not unless the Fed changes course. They know nothing! Which seems unlikely to me, given that there's real weakness in the business side of the economy. Witness CSX, even as the consumer's doing just fine. Witness Bank of America. But that's not only thing, the only thing that Parker Hammond is going for. The industrials, we don't talk enough about them. See, in particular, they get an additional boost because there just are so few publicly traded manufacturers. We're not a manufacturing economy. We have a real shortage of this kind of stock, especially since many of these companies have monster buybacks and we rarely get any industrial IPOs. Between the Fed and the industrial stock shortage, these analysts downgrade simply don't matter. Parker Hannifin's like the unsinkable Molly Brown, the socialite who survived the Titanic, sort of like the Kim Kardashian of her day. We're seeing the same thing with Illinois Torx, by the way, which seems to catch downgrades as often as the Yankees win games. Now, does that mean you should buy these stocks? Parker Hanson gave you that minor dip today off three bucks and changed that. Remember, that's probably really off the text, right, uh, loser. It's time to pounce. All right, not so fast. Not so fast. This is, remember, this is more of an instructional piece. This is where the market uh, is telling you basically you've got to be selective. I would never bet against an industrial environment where the Fed is easing. It would be lunacy to short the stock. But you don't necessarily buy every cyclical under the sun just because the Fed is suddenly your friend. You need to look at the particulars. You know that cyclicals can go down on bad numbers even when there's a major stock shortage. CSX, one of only a handful of major railroads, reported a devastating shortfall last night with management slashing their full-year forecast because of the trade war and also because of high rates. Stock plummeted 10% today. For the week uh, leading up to earnings, CSX, though, unsinkable. But a truly dismal quarter is enough to blow out anyone out of the water. In short, if Parker Hennepin gives us not just a ho-hum disappointment, but a horrific CSX-style disappointment, say goodbye to the unsinkable Molly Brown. Hey, by the way, in real life, Molly Brown survived the Titanic, but she only died of a brain tumor 20 years later. So how is Parker Hennepin doing? Okay, as a textbook industrial company with a ton of overseas exposure, they get nearly half of their sales from outside the U.S. This stock has been put through the meat grinder every time investors get worried about a worldwide slowdown. When trade tensions with China flare up, well, it gets annihilated, okay? Uh, And that's what happened in October when Vice President Pence gave you his big speech framing the trade war as more like a new Cold War with communist China taking this place of Soviet Union. At the same time, the Fed got too aggressive with the trade hikes, dropping the boom on all things cyclical. But when Powell reversed course, okay, look at this. Reverse course is in January. Parker Hannifin comes roaring back. Stocks surge higher through April, all right? But then in May, President Trump ratcheted up the trade tensions again, and the stock came right back down. In late April, Parker Hannifin was a $190 stock. Okay, you know, look at this. And by the end of May, it was $152 stock. Since then, we've gotten a detente with China, although who knows how long that'll last. And the Federal Reserve has started making noises about the need to cut rates, possibly very soon. So the stock's been able to rebound to 167 This is what I would describe as a picture of the current zeitgeist. Okay? Right there. Now, the last time Parker Hannifin reported in April, the company delivered a substantial earnings beat, even though its sales came in a bit light. Wall Street was not thrilled, especially since management refused to raise its full-year forecast. Remember, that's a kiss of death. You raise your near-term, you know, you beat, 
but they don't raise the rest. Well, that just means the rest is going to be worse. It's a solid quarter we got. But at the same time, we didn't have the Fed at our back, so the results were not well received. Which brings us to the latest round of downgrades. A week ago, get this, this is an amazing litany. J.P. Morgan took Parker Hanover from an overweight to neutral. They like management, but want to get more cautious given that the industrial production is weakening worldwide. They also aren't thrilled about the recently announced acquisition of Lord Corporation. That's a maker of adhesives, coating, and other special materials, which the company's buying for uh, $3.7 billion in cash. Okay? J.P. Morgan thinks they may have overpaid. Uh, that same day, Deutsche Bank published a negative call, arguing that Parker Hannafin was likely to pull back in the near term because they expect the guidance to be disappointing when the company reports in a couple of weeks. Later that same day, Wells Fargo downgraded from outperform to market perform again. They expect a suboptimal forecast. Then last Friday, Bank of America, Merrill, hits Parker Hannafin with another downgrade, Biden neutral, saying, quote, they see limited room for either multiple expansion or upward earnings revisions in 2019-2020. It's all about slower uh, global growth and macroeconomic uncertainty. Then, two days ago, K-Bank downgrades it from overweight to uh, sector weight. That's basically uh, by the whole. And then finally, well, yesterday we should have gotten what had been the coup de grace. Goldman Sachs taking Parker Hanover from neutral to sell. Wow. Again, the thesis is that short cycle industrial activity is slowing. Will you look at that? And look, they, look, there's there's substantive reason to be worried. I'm not I'm not going to deny that. When you look at the, the CSX disappointment from last night, uh, metals and equipment were down six percent. Parker Hannafin is, is actually exactly the kind of machinery maker that tends to get hit when the economy slows down. Although it also recovers more quickly when we recover. The interesting thing is not that the analysts are concerned; it's that the stock market, it's not blinking. It doesn't seem to care. Because it's banking on a series of rate cuts that will breathe new life into Parker Hanover's business. I wouldn't recommend it here, but I also wouldn't recommend going against it. Don't you think some of the negatives are in the stock? Bottom line, if you want to understand why this market remains so resilient in the face of not-so-hot earnings, look at no further than Parker Hanover, a great American company. This enterprise keeps getting hit with legitimate downgrades, but the stock refuses to go down. Because Wall Street believes it's about to get a boost from the Fed. And that's actually more important than all of these negativeness. Stick with Kramer. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It is time for the lightning round on Cambridge and Money. I want to start with Kurt in Florida. Kurt! Thank you for taking my call, my friend. Oh, Kurt, good to have you. Uh, every oil producer needs services from Core Labs. So is Core Labs a sick company now or just well, a well, You know what we'll do? We've got, we happen to have the good fortune of getting, I think at the end of the week, we have Slumberjay. Uh, that's a travel trust name. It's been a real disaster, frankly, and we're going to find out more. Let's use that as the example and make that whether we should buy Core Labs or not. I need to go to Linda, New Jersey. Linda! Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. I want to hear your thoughts about triple point venture growth, symbol TPV. Yeah, and I'm familiar with it, which is a problem because you can't be familiar with it. It's kind of one of those opaque businesses. We don't really know what's in it, so whether we can possibly possibly get any comfort with it, I can't. So I'm going to have to say, don't buy. Don't All right, buy. let's go to Robert in Mississippi. Robert! Jim Kramer. Yes. 
My man, booyah, baby. Booyah. Quick shout out to my boss, Brad, at SunTech TTS. We got the freight market on lockdown. All right, down to business. Tell me about Cato. I bought in at twelve ninety eight. Why? It was supposed to go up in June. No, no, you know, some, no, no, that stock is in a. That's you got it at a good price to be able to skedaddle. I, that's a, a marginal retailer. I, I don't. We can't. There's no room for marginal retails in a market dominated by Amazon and Shopify. I need to go to Anthony, Texas, please, Anthony. Hey, Mr. Kramer. First, just want to thank you for enabling me to invest with confidence. Confidence um, breeds the ability to make better decision-making. What's up? My stock is the Animal Health Lab company, IDEX. Which oh, my, well, you know I like IDEX. Well, what happened to IDEX today? Of course. What always seems to happen? All-time high. You know, John, Jonathan, he actually, you know, IDEX Labs cares tremendously about my pets. And I like that. There's a very good post about NVIDIA howling when a fire alarm went off. And I think you might want to check my Insta. Let's go to Praveen in California. Praveen. Yeah, hi, Jim. Uh, my name is Praveen uh, San Diego, and I'm a huge fan of your show. I love your show. Uh, listen to your podcast daily and love that you make Thank talks you. interesting and encourage discipline for small Thank investors. You. Um, I bought like KCOM uh, on February 2018 uh, at 91, and now it's around 242. Um, is it time to sell the stock, or See, now, this I is a man who's not been brainwashed by an industry which says that single stock risk will keep you from making money? This is a man who has done a lot of work on a very good company that does software solutions for payroll, and I've got to tell you, it, and I, I have to tell you. It is one that I personally have missed the whole way. It's driving me crazy. Take a little bit out because you're playing with houses money, but otherwise, congratulations. Let's go to Steven in Florida. Steven! Booyah, Jim, from the Sunshine State. All right. What are your thoughts thoughts about NRZ? It has been paying a high quarterly dividend. This reminds me of Italy. I don't know what they own. They own some sort of bond thing. I mean, we can't. We cannot get involved with companies that we cannot analyze. That's a bad call. Joseph in New Jersey. Joseph. Hello, Kramer. Yeah, I'm, man. Uh, multi-time, I'm a multi-time caller, and you've always been right when I asked you about a stock. Thank you for wow. that. Uh, that's that's better than luck. I'll take it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, my stock is AXA Equitable. Do I buy it here at its near 52-week high? It's a very, very good company. It's not... It's a very good company. Um, it, it, you know, it's a brokerage holding real estate. I, I like the company. What can I tell you? I think it's a good company. I don't think it's wait. I think I think it's okay to buy. Let's go to Bryce Harper. I'm sorry, Bryce in California. Bryce. Hi, Jim. How you doing, stud? Uh, good. That nice walk off home run last night. What's up? I really like the company Waste Management. I wanted to get your opinion. Well, you're absolutely right to like Waste because Mr. Fish has done a remarkable job. I think it's a terrific buy, and I wouldn't even mind buying some right here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Are the big banks finally back? Have they become investable again, even with the Fed poised to cut rates and the economy slowing? Let's just say that they've become a lot more attractive here after this week. The big banks that have reported so far, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, and Bank of America, they have earned a combined total of $29.5 billion. That is astonishing. J.P. Morgan alone made $9.6 billion. Bank of America clocked at $7 billion. These are extraordinary profits. When you make that much money, your bank's, your stock deserves to trade at a higher valuation 
than uh, they certainly have been getting before these numbers. So how did they do it? We're going to take them one by one. J.P. Morgan is a powerhouse. Every line item impressed me. The best was the consumer, as I mentioned at the top of the show. But the whole thing was terrific. As J.P. Morgan is firing on all cylinders, credit quality, great. Commercial bank, good. Expenses, very good. Right now, the stock trades at 11 times this year's earnings with a plus 3% yield. People say every stock's expensive. That's a buy. How about Citigroup? They delivered a big top and bottom line beat. They bought back 54 million shares, most of which were purchased below Citi's tangible book value of 67.64. Every share they retire at these levels is additive to earnings, and they're going to keep doing it. This is a $163 billion bank with a three-year plan to return $62 billion to you. Meanwhile, these guys know how to execute. Citi had a great efficiency ratio, what they actually make, and the headline numbers were fantastic. Best of all, stock trades at 9.3 times this year's earnings, 2.5% yield. Buy. Then there's Goldman Sachs. My alma mater has a habit of crushing expectations on the earnings side. They're not showing enough revenue growth. Not this time, though. This time, Goldman's revenues were massively better than anticipated, driven by some unexpected strength in investment banking and equities. Think on it right. Goldman stock has long been held back by what I call the episodic, herky-jerky nature of its sales. But with the company focused on building up its recurring revenue, that's now much less of a problem. I think the stock is way too cheap, trading at 9.4 times this year's earnings with recurring revenue about 65% of their numbers. Goldman's tangible book value is 203. It's at 213. The best for last. Buy. All right, what about Bank of America? It was a small beat, but a beat nonetheless. Some of this company is just, it it reminds me of a 24-7 ATM profit spitter. Bank of America has the best digital banking business. 37.3 million users, up from 35.7 million a year ago. A quarter of all consumer sales come from digital, half from mobile. A third of the total consumer mortgage applications came from digital. These are insane numbers. They indicate that it's not just millennials. Even older people are embracing digital banking. That's huge. It's also a great way to keep costs down. Digital banking costs a lot less than person-to-person banking. Plus, Bank of America's massive buyback with a stock trading 10.4 times this year's earnings estimates. Who can blame them? Buy when it comes to the major banks, the only questionable quarter came from Trump, the trouble Wells Fargo, which just can't seem to get its efficiency ratio down enough. Still, if they would ever bring in a new CEO, who knows? Put it all together, though, and the banks have reported amazing numbers. If you don't buy these stocks, they will buy their shares hand over fist in the open market. Yeah, I've never seen the financials so sound and the executives sound so sanguine with interest rates coming down, which is going to hurt their ability to make money. Does it seem it doesn't seem to matter? That's why J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, and Bank of America are all buys, especially what looks like into tomorrow's week. Stick with Kramer. We are in industrial hell, but we're in consumer heaven. Go figure that out. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.